This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles. If you're into nerd culture or sign sports memorabilia, please visit firstroll.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20. You'll get 20% off. And to all you American listeners, everything you see there is in Canadian funds, so it's a little bit cheaper rate for you. And they are actually based out of the wrestling capital of the world now, known as Winnipeg, Manitoba. So please visit them every day. They got everything from signed comic books to signed wrestling figures, even old uh, hockey cards. Anything you literally need or want, they have there, and they update daily, like I said. And if you're into nerd culture, you must be into video games. And obviously, if you're into video games, you most likely read books as well. If so, please visit bossfightbooks.com today for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Galaga, Kingdom Hearts 2, World of Warcraft, and so many others. They got everything in paperback and e-format, so please visit bossfightbooks.com. And if you want to support me directly, please scroll down on your device you're listening to today click on that link it takes you right to my merchandise store that's at tpublic.com i got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to travel mugs to covid masks anything you need or want it is there but if you don't want to spend money that's totally understandable the easiest and the best thing you could do takes you two seconds free of charge rate subscribe review on all major platforms most specifically apple Podcasts, stitcher TuneIn, soundcloud spotify and iHeartRadio. So, this week's guest is a NWA, AWA, and WCW legend. He is a two-time NWA tag team champion, a NWA six-man tag champ, a television champ, a U.S. champion, and 1987 Crockett Cup winner alongside the Dream Dusty Rhodes, NWA Hall of Famer, the Russian Nightmare, Nikita Koloff. Hey, great to be with you on... The podcast, comrade. <laughs> Fantastic. I was wondering if you were going to bust out the Russian accent once or twice. Well, everybody always asks me, they're like, yeah, come on, can't we hear the accent? I'm like, you have to pay money for that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, but it, is, it is, for the record, it is uh, harder on my voice now than it was oh. back in, in my youth. Yeah, because I was going to say, your voice, when you were doing the Russian accent, sounded gravelly. Like, it almost sounded like you smoked 15 packs of cigarettes a day and it was killing you just to talk. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a that's an interesting analogy. But yeah, it, it was, uh, and for me, Steve, it was it was anywhere in public. I mean, twenty four seven for twelve years. So that was a long time to uh, a lot of stress on the vocal cords there. So I, I do a very very little or very minimal now. So when did you actually break Cape Fabe and reveal to everyone you weren't really Russian? Well, I mean, again, I mean, I say 12 years, you know, I, I, I maintained that persona for three years after I retired from wrestling. Wow. Uh, actually, and then just kind of slowly phased the voice out without really addressing it. And, and of course, I think by that point, people, people kind of already knew or had an idea, but, but never really addressed it or, or brought it up. And so neither did I. And you went to as far as even learning the Russian language. Now, how long did it take you to get all this and to know and have the accent and speak Russian? Did it take you a long time? Well, and, and you know, and I wasn't, uh, but for the record, I didn't do fluent Russian. Okay, you know, okay. I, I got a, uh, I, I somehow I came across a Russian workbook. Okay. And, and my, I got my hands on a, a cassette tape, you know, for your listeners who, don't know what that is. Don't just have to Google that. And uh, so I got a Russian cassette tape, and and I began to you know pop it in up and down the road, up and down the highway. Okay. I learned a few Russian words, how to count to ten. Oh, you know, just basic things. Learned how to sign my name, Nikita Koloff, in Russian, mm. and then over a period of months, just began to develop the accent. You know, with the mindset. If I really was from there, right. how would this word sound? How would that word sound? How would this sentence sound? And so it was just a period, about a six-month period of development. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So did anyone try to crack you and to see if you really were Russian? And did anyone actually get you? Well, not. I mean, it wasn't so much that they were trying to... They didn't try, I, didn't think, I don't think really tried to test me as much as... Uh, I, I do have I do have a couple a couple stories. One more recent yeah. than the other. One back in the day when I was you know still in the heyday of, of you know being a bad guy. I was in the grocery store shopping, okay. and I was picking some fruit. And I heard this fluent Russian. And I look over; it's a young guy, and he's all excited, and and he says something else to me in Russian. And by this by this point, I was starting to quote speak English, okay. and I just looked. I went, hey, we in America now, we speak English, you know. Right, right. He's like, oh, okay. So he starts speaking some broken English. He, he really, he was a young guy from Russia. Wow. Um, but I didn't pay him much attention because I'm a bad guy, so I didn't really have to be nice to him. Of course. Um, something more recent, uh, Lex Luger and I were doing an autograph signing in, up in Virginia, mm-hmm. and this woman spouts off some fluent Russian and, you know, I, I, at first I tried to ignore her thinking she'll go away and I won't have to address it. And I'm like, she says something else. Finally, I look up and I make eye contact with her and she says something else. And she's just glowing. She's got this little girl with her <laughs> and she's all excited to meet the Russian nightmare. And I look at her and I go, ma'am, I go, I'm not really from Russia. Oh. I go, that was a character I portrayed. She went, Steve, from a glow to a scowl. I mean, she oh, took a no. step back. And she says, you're not really from Russia. <laughs> I'm like, ma'am, just a character I portrayed, you know. And 
She says, I drove three hours here to meet you, oh. and you're not even from. I felt so bad. She was so mad. Right. She never did an autograph. She stormed away. I felt bad for her little girl. She never got an autograph. But so wow. apparently, I convinced a lot of people I, I really was from there. And one other little side note sure. fans, and I still have some in a box somewhere in the attic. <laughs> fans used to give Ivan. Right. A Russian English dictionary because they wanted me to want to help me learn English. Wow! And I still have some of those in in the attic somewhere. And that's awesome. And that's what I truly miss. Like as much as social media has brought more attention to wrestling, and a lot more people are doing it, and there's so many companies and ways of watching it. The one thing I miss is that so-called kayfabe from back in the day, where some anyone from anywhere could play a character, and no one would know anything different, right? And like that, it would seem more realistic versus what's going on in today's product. Yeah, and that, that is that's a great point, and that's a, a big part of big reason. Part of the reason why why the product looks very different now from in, in those days, what the fans have told me, they call the golden era of wrestling. Right. And yeah, even me keeping uh, you know my character, my persona, the fact that you know I, I hello, I'm not really from Russia. <laughs> you know, if I burst somebody's bubble tonight, or you know, um, <laughs> I actually hail from the great state of Minnesota. Um, nice. Uh, not far from the Canadian border. Not right? at all. But we could keep that. Yeah, you mentioned the word cafe. We could keep it much more private and and much more mysterious back then than now. Yeah, no kidding. So, were were you ever scared of being Russian walking down the streets of the states back in the day? Because obviously, everyone know what was going on with the Cold War and everything before you turned face. Obviously, I, re- I really, I really wasn't. I, I mean, oh, you know, I'm, okay. I'm in my, I'm in my early twenties. I'm ten foot tall and bulletproof, right? <laughs> Who's going to hurt me? Uh, I'm 85 pounds, you know, what? what's that translated into kilos? About 118 kilos, something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm pretty stout, and and it, and it was, and the fans were, like, for real, like, serious back then. Like, I had six different matches where the fans came over the barricade after me. Wow. Uh, in fact, the very first time it happened, I was wrestling the Nature Boy Ric Flair in the very first ever Star, uh, no, um, Great American Bash. That's right. In, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Actually, your fans, your your listeners, pull it up on YouTube. You'll actually see a clip of. You'll see the guy come in the ring, actually get a hold of me. Yep. And before I didn't realize, I wasn't expecting it. And then it dawned on me it was a fan, and you'll see the cops roll in and grab him. And but I had that six different matches, six different times fans come after me and then a few death threats to the wrestling office but it didn't really phase me i guess because i again i just thought i was 10 foot tall and bulletproof (laughs) so you mentioned you're from minnesota what is it about that minnesota water that produces fantastic wrestlers yeah i I think it's in the minerals in the the water towers um i mean so many guys right i mean not just there was certainly there was a nucleus nucleus of us from one high school, but exactly it didn't, didn't limit it to just one high school because it was kind of all over the surrounding Minneapolis area mm-hmm. um, that that a plethora of guys came out of there, and yeah, pretty amazing. It's crazy. But before you actually wanted to be a wrestler, became a wrestler, you wanted to be a football player, right? Uh, I. I did, yeah. Wrestling wasn't on my radar, like for real. Like, 
you know, I saw a little bit of it growing up. I mean, I saw, you know, you flip through the TV channels back in those days. You know, we had AWA with Vern Gagne. Yep. Uh, I, I wasn't really a fan of it. I mean, I, you know, again, you flip through the channels, you see a little bit of it, um, but never really, never really was intrigued by it. In my college days, I actually worked out for a couple of years uh, at a little sweat box gym in North Minneapolis called Ventura's Gym. Oh. I first met the body, right. Jesse Ventura, <laughs> Jesse the body Ventura. And, uh, and we became, uh, you know, got to know him by working out at his club. And, sure. and in fact, my first live wrestling match ever uh, was uh, thanks to Jesse. He got a bunch of us muscle heads, a bunch of us meatheads <laughs> tickets for uh, matches in the St. Paul Civic Center. Oh. That was my first first live event ever. But I still, even then, still was like, oh, I want to do this one day. So was it slowly the injuries that you ended up amassing through football that kept you back from actually getting into the NFL? Do you think that's what the main reason was? No, I, I really don't. I, I like to say, I say it this way, that, you know, because I, I, I did suffer two pretty you know, what I, I would, what I would call what could have been major setbacks right. in my college days, my freshman year mm-hmm. and my senior year. And, and for those who are curious, um, my, fr- I fractured my, my right leg, my freshman year in a game. Right. Um, like, uh, if they, if they remember the Joe Theismann, the U S quarterback, Washington quarterback, mm-hmm. when Lawrence Taylor broke his leg oh. and even more recently, kind of weird Alex Smith who also played for the Redskins who fractured his leg right um that's the kind of fracture I had now fortunately now for Theismann it was career ending for Alex he had 17 major surgeries fortunately I didn't have to have seven surgeries I just had 17 I just had one but I was determined Steve to come back I like to say a comeback doesn't have to hold you back Mm. a comeback can be a setup uh, a setback could be a setup for a comeback. Let me say it that way. Of course. So injury doesn't have to hold you back. It could be a setup for a comeback. Okay. And so I was determined. So I came back, played three more years, only to fracture my, my other leg, my left leg, same type of fracture wow. in a game. And and But I recovered from one, so I was determined I could recover from a second one. And I was actually training for a pro football tryout when I got the call to to break into wrestling. Well, do you think you would have got into wrestling still if you had a, a pro career in football? Uh, I mean, it's a great question. Probably not. I mean, it, well, and depending on what would have happened with the, uh, you know, with the football career, in my mind, you know, I had my mind to have about a 10-year pro football career in college, I'd got a, I'd got, I graduated, I got a, a degree in, in, in physical education and health and coaching. So in my mind, mm-hmm. I thought I'd have about a 10-year NFL or pro football career, go off into coaching, uh-huh. have a stellar coaching career, and then sail off into the sunset. Right. But uh, little did I know that those plans would, would change in 1984. And do you still keep up with football? Are you a current fan? Are you an NFL fan? Did you watch a Super Bowl? I did not watch the Super Bowl this okay. year. Um, I have become really more of an avid college fan. Oh, okay. 
than than the pro level. I mean, I watched the pros for quite quite a few years, but the last two three years, I've transitioned more to college football. I, I love the excitement of college football. I, I've got uh, I've been to several college football games. I've got some friends who are boosters of some of the universities, and so I've been to some of the games. I just love the excitement, the atmosphere of a co- on a college campus. Uh, you know, for those games. That's awesome. So after you were done football, you were doing some, you were bouncing at some clubs, doing some other stuff. And I read somewhere that you even became a DJ for a bit. I, I did. It's crazy. Just <laughs> oh, like right before I got into wrestling, it, it's okay. kind of crazy. A buddy of mine, a college buddy of mine was, was a disc jockey at a, at a, uh, what what would have been known really back then uh, like a discotheque? Okay. I mean, it was like a bar discotheque, right? Uh, and 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 he'd do it seven nights a week, and and I'm like, dude, you're gonna burn out. And he's like, hey, would you ever want to do? Would you ever want to give me a break? And I'm like, yeah, show me how to teach me how to do it. So so I do it a couple nights a week, and it it was one of the, honestly, it was one of the <laughs> funnest I ever had. Well, there you go. Was I been in the wick, man? Uh, and uh, and DJ and it was just a blast and yeah so I did that for a couple months right before right before I got into wrestling and were you as big as you were like the two hundred eighty plus pounder doing being a DJ yes oh I could only yeah. imagine this like you know what if you would have kept going you would have had your own little niche you could have been the the muscles that does the DJing or something and it could have been a whole different career <laughs> yeah I know right. Uh, uh, hey, I'll, t- I'll tell you this because this is this, some of your some of your listeners might might not even. It, here's here was one of my I want to share with you one of my highlights. Okay. Uh, it, it's great you're bringing this up because you know I, I don't I'm glad you did your research because I, I don't really ever talk about this. But there were there were two songs, two songs that uh, and I don't off the top of my head. Some of your listeners probably look it up and Google it, let okay. you know or whatever. Two songs I love to play. All right. One. One, it was it was called working hard for the money. Of course, okay, because because we're all out there doing that, right? We're all out there working hard, you know, working hard for a paycheck or sure. a payday, working hard for the money. When I was in wrestling, man, I worked hard for what I earned, mm-hmm. right? I put everything I had into it. Obviously, sure. yeah. I learned wrestling. Right? I changed my name legally. I mean, right? I worked hard for what I earned in wrestling. Right. So I would play that song, working hard for the money. <laughs> And then I had so much fun on the microphone, and 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 the fan, and the and the the, the, the folks kind of got used to me doing this there. Sure. And then there's another song called "Holiday." Of course, another popular song. Holiday, and and so I'd get on the mic, and as the song would begin to wind down, working hard for the money, I'm like, man, <laughs> you know, after you work hard for the money, it's time for a, and the whole club would go holiday, and man, I would I would. I crank up that holiday song, man, and, right. and they loved it, and I loved it. So what gives you more adrenaline? The audience like that responding to you DJing or getting a pop from the crowd when you're wrestling? <laughs> you know what? I never really thought about it, Steve, till now, <laughs> but that, that was kind of kind of a precursor to what I eventually would do, right? Right. Talk microphones, yep. uh, you know, in front of crowds and kind of getting them either excited or getting them to hate me. Um, so I, I kind of like, it was, it was, I enjoyed both actually. <laughs> so when Road Warrior Animal approached you to try and get you into the business, were you hesitant or were you like, hell yeah, I'm doing this balls to the wall? 
I mean, when he called me, he's like, well, you know, what do you think about wrestling? I think you're doing great. And he's, he's like, no, about, like, what do you, about you, I go, me, like, me being a wrestler? Right. Like, for real? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, well, dude, I don't even have any training. I, I have no wrestling background. He goes, well, he goes, they, they're, and he shared the storyline with me. The, you know, he was approached by, by a guy named Don Cronodal, who was Ivan Koloff's partner at the time. Okay. They were the world tag team champions for the NWA. Mm-hmm. And Kernodal and Sergeant Slaughter had come up with this whole storyline of a nephew oh. for Ivan Koloff. Gotcha. And so they Don approached, basically Don just approached Animal and said, hey, ask him this question. Do you know any big guys who wouldn't mind shaving their head and becoming a Russian? <laughs> And Animal's like, oh, I know the guy right now. Let me call him. Right. So he called me, and he and he told me this story. I go, so I would be a Russian guy, and I'd be a nephew for this guy. Who? This guy, Ivan Koloff. This guy named Ivan Koloff? He's like, yeah. And I go, and they know I don't have any experience or training. He goes, yeah. I told them. They said they didn't care. So he gave me the phone number to Jim Crockett Promotions. Jim Crockett gets on the phone. I have a five-minute conversation with him, sight unseen. Now, there's there's no cell phones in those days, so, exactly. so there's no cell phones and no selfies. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I'm not sending him any pictures. We just have a conversation. I made sure Mr. Crockett understood, you know, I, look, I got no background in this, right? He, right. He goes, he goes, yeah, I understand that. I go, so what's next? He goes, be in my office on such and such a day with your head shaved ball. I go, that's it? He goes, that's it. Okay, and, and so I, that was it. So I I hung up the phone, and a few months later, I drove to a city where I'd never been, walked into an office, and introduced myself to someone I only had a five-minute conversation with. Wow. He took a look at me, introduced me to two guys named Ivan Koloff, Don Kernodal, and Nikita Koloff is born in the hallways of, North, of Charlotte, North Carolina <laughs> in 1984. That's crazy. Now, did you get any heat behind the scenes or were you accepted right away? Because you came, like you said, from no training and right almost shot into a, like a main event storyline. Well, anyone who knows anything about that business, at least back then, I, I don't know how it is now. I imagine it, it probably hasn't changed much um, over the years. But yeah, there was, there was some... Uh, uh, there, there were some who were not, how would I say this or phrase this, who, who were not so thrilled mm-hmm. about my, my, my rise to stardom, if you will. I mean, I mm-hmm. was, it was pretty quick as you're, as you're mentioning, it was pretty rapid to main event status, but Ivan was great. Ivan would always reinforce, cause I think he kind of knew and it wasn't so much it was said to my face or around me, okay. but I'm sure he kind of knew. Uh, and he would reinforce by saying, look, you, you, you paid your dues in the gym. You paid your dues on an athletic field. So even though you've never you know, wrestled in other territories, you, you, you have disciplined yourself and, again, given it everything you've got. So don't let any of that bother you. Gotcha. Oh, that's awesome to hear. So your finishing move is the Russian sickle, which is a clothesline for people who don't know. Now, who other than yourself, who do you think has the best or currently has the best clothesline in the business? 
Well, they're, they're often imitated, never duplicated, Steve. <laughs> I'm just saying, come on. No. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's funny, though. For real, I hear the fans, every now and then they'll throw up a little clip. And, and, and like, someone just put one up recently. I forget who it was. And okay. I, I, I guess they call it the Lariat or something like that, right? Right, exactly. And, and they post it and they go, they show it. They said the Lariat. They go, however, this is still no Russian sickle, you know. Crazy. Um, and I have to say, whoever it was, I wish I remember the name. I mean, it looked pretty devastating. But my goal with the sickle was for it to be the most devastating-looking uh, clothesline, if you will, right. that that ever preceded me or ever followed me. And and so, based on what the fans have told me, so this is not me tooting my own horn. <laughs> based on what the fans have told me. Uh, there's, there's still is never, you know, still hasn't been a, anyone that compares to the Russian sickle. Now, do you think moves have gone too far and they should go like back to the basics? Like before, back in the day, like a nice hold would finish a match, a good position suplex or belly to belly would finish a match, or like in your case, a good uh, clothesline. Do you think it's getting too, I guess, acrobatic as they say? Well, the guys are like, like. Uh... I mean, they're like the fan, Fantastic Four all combined into one, right? That's true. Too. I know. They're so athletic. They're like Superman and Captain America and, and the thing and, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, the Incredible Hulk and all all the rest of them all in one pack. Meaning, meaning, you do, I, I, I don't watch a whole lot of the, the, uh, the modern day stuff. I see bits and pieces and okay. clips. Sure. And I, and I listen to what the fans say. Ah, uh, okay. And Give a guy 10 finishing moves mm. and he pops up like nothing ever happened to him, then what do you, what is there left to beat him with, right? True. And so I, I would love to see it revert back to those days when you worked a hold and you told a slower story mm-hmm. and leading into a, an outcome. I don't know that they'll ever be able to get back to that. I know there are fans out there that would love to see that, but I, I don't know if there's they've pushed kicked the can so far down the road that they could ever ever revert back to that or not. Well, what about the current? Well, before the pandemic happened, the current NWA product. It's more of wrestling based, back to the roots, or even sort of what ROH is now doing currently with the pure with the pure wrestling and all that. Do you think that's a good alternative? Yeah, I was I was thrilled when I saw Billy Corgan and you know trying to you know trying to get the NWA power you know the the, the brand back up and you know reinventing that brand again and and even kind of go and even going back to the studio look right when I went down there last year I brought my guys down there Koloff Dynasty and they got a, an opportunity to kind of debut you know their talent and nice. and maybe even get a contract with the NWA. When I, I, Steve, when I drove down to Atlanta, I'm dry, I got off on, on Techwood Drive. Okay. It brought back so many memories <laughs> because that's where we, where we filmed what TBS was on 10th and Techwood. Right. Well, this studio was on 14th and Techwood. So it's right in the area. Mm. I'm like, oh my gosh, this brings back so many memories. And then when I walked into the studio, obviously it was not the same studio, but it was the same feel, right? Mm. I, I was like a, in a candy store. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I was taking pictures, and I'm like, 
it brought back so many memories and I was I was thrilled that and I'm hopeful that Corrigan can get that back up and running again because I believe it gives a lot of the old school fans from the golden era of wrestling yep. it takes them back to be, you know, 12, 14, 10 years old again. Yeah. And they loved it. Yeah, no kidding. And again, it, there's just something about it. Like the one thing, one of the biggest feuds that always pops in my mind with that you had was against Magnum TA. Like the way you guys told the story in the ring, hold for hold, always chasing and this and that. And the crowd, how they were so into it. Like you, you see the crowd's reaction to every move. Like everything meant something. It wasn't just to transition to the next hold. Right, right. Because, you know, the old school mentality was this. Get the most out of the least. Mm. Get the most out of the least. Right. So, so and, and I go back to, I, I'm fortunate that, it, again, in those early days, in that first year in the business, mm-hmm. I had the privilege of working with guys like, in fact, I just was looking at it today, Dory Funk Jr. Wow. Who, who won his first world title in 1969. Wow. Tampa, Florida. I got the privilege of walk, working with a guy like Dory Funk Jr. Right. Black Jack Mulligan. Wahoo McDaniel. Yep. Legendary in the Mid-Atlantic was Johnny Weaver with the sleeper hole. Uh, Rufus R. Freight Train Jones. Mm-hmm. I mean, I worked with some guys that were legendary in the 60s, 70s, and 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 the early 80s. They were kind of wrapping up their careers, but I got to work with them. Right. So I got to learn what it meant to work a match, really tell us, take your time, tell a story so that the fan could could really buy into it or get into it. Mm. And, and then we would bring the fan along as part of that story. And, and we had what was called creative control. Mm. What I mean by that is we were maybe given an outcome, but from the opening bell to the, to the, to the lead into that outcome. And sometimes even the outcome itself, we, the wrestlers control that whole story. Yep. That was called psychology. Okay. Yep. We were taught that Ivan taught me that Don Cronodo taught me that Dusty Rhodes taught me that Ricky, the dragon steamboat taught me psychology of wrestling Mm -hmm. and how to listen to a crowd and bring the crowd into the story. Of course. Nowadays, the way I understand it, there's a writer who writes the story and you just go out and perform it. Right. But if the crowd's not into it or buying into it, you don't have the creative control to change in the middle of the stream and go in a different direction you just have to finish performing, and and then and, and it is what it is. That's the difference, I believe. That's why you see the crowd reaction mm-hmm. so different back then than you see it now. Yeah, no kidding. And again, we we both sound like the old school is the best school. And all. no, it's an integration of everything. There's a lot of good stuff that they do nowadays, but at the same time, they shouldn't forget everything that brought them to the table, so to speak, right? clear taking nothing away from the guys that the performers today you know and and what they do in the ring i mean there's some really talented guys and 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 
really do well. I just, I just kind of, it's unfortunate that, that they don't, they aren't given that liberty, whether it's an interview or a match itself. Right. You know, recently one of the guys is telling me they, they were, they were involved in a, in a 12 minute match. Okay. And they, they, it took them an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes to talk over a 12 minute match. Wow. Now, now in my day, we may have talked for a minute and 15 seconds, not an hour and 15 minutes. Right. Now, I'll see you in the ring. Of course. Spontaneously in the ring, we had our match, believe it or not. And 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 we did well at at covering up the conversation. Mm. So that you as a fan may or may not have realized or understood we're actually communicating with one another indirectly or sometimes not necessarily in verbal communication as much as non-verbal communication right but that's what steve we called in those days the art of the business there you go it couldn't be put better so you were there when crockett transitioned into wcw how was it behind the scenes was it smooth were these guys scared like oh we're gonna lose our spots we have a new owner he doesn't know the wrestling business so forth and so on all the stuff you used to hear back in the day it 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 was was very different it was very different in this sense it went from you know the crockett family owned it for i don't know 50 something 50 55 55 years something like that right and it was a mom and pop business, right? Yeah. You're like you going down to the corner grocery store versus, you know, you going to Walmart. Mm. Okay. Good comparison. That, that's the analogy. You know, your little your little local grocery mart, right? Versus Walmart, because it went from a mom and pop organization to corporate America. It just became uh, a. a it was a chapter in Ted Turner's portfolio of investments. Right. And he had guys running the organization. He wasn't going to run it. He, he loved <laughs> wrestling, but he, he, he wasn't going to be calling the shots, right. you know, all to signing the checks. I mean, his name was on my check, but, <laughs> but he hired guys who really honestly didn't know anything about wrestling. They knew about running a corporation. And that was the part that was, as I see it, part of the problem and that was the perhaps the 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 beginning the beginning of the end what eventually would become the end of wcw right was putting guys in place that that really didn't know what they were doing yeah that's crazy because i always wondered how it was back in the day when a company would absorb another one and so forth and so on to see what it actually because again you read what you read but who knows what people are saying out there right yeah yeah and it and it, and it was uh, and it wasn't so much, you know, we we're we we're concerned about losing positions or anything like that either. Um, as much as, uh, again, just just the formality of it. They kind of, I guess the way I phrase it is they kind of, for me anyway, they kind of took some of the fun out of it. Oh, uh, okay. Now, because more politics got involved. Sure. And, and so it came down to, for me, it came to where, where prior to that, it was fun traveling with the guys. I mean, it would be Ivan and Crusher Khrushchev and I in a car, or <laughs> Ivan and Don and I. Um, you know, it'd be Dusty and I traveling in a car. It would be me, Sting, Animal, and, and Lex Luger traveling in a car. 
I mean, just having fun, man, right. traveling, right? And then, and then it, it, it just seemed like it transitioned to where, where the, it just became more of such a business. So, so more of a business to where about the only time I had fun, the last part of my career was when I got in the ring mm-hmm. and the bell rang till we finished the match and the bell rang. Now that part of it, I still loved it, but all the politics and all the, all the jockeying sure. and stuff outside of the ring and, uh, I, did, I just didn't care for it. Well, you mentioned some legends there that you rolled with up and down the road. Now, what do some legends back in the day do in such a long car ride? Because today we have phones, we have stuff to keep us entertained. Did you guys play any games? Like, Did you guys just talk the whole ride? What, what did you guys do to keep you guys sane? Well, it would, uh, of course, you know, it, it, it depends on, on the length of the drive. I mean, you know, some shots were, you know, might only have been an hour or two to the town. Other, okay, others were, you know, six, seven hours. I mean, just back before you were dry, flying anywhere, right. like we dropped, uh, I can remember driving from Charlotte to Norfolk, Virginia. It was about a six-hour drive uh, with, without any stops, you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, not that we, no, we didn't, at least in my car, we didn't so much play game. We, we had a lot of conversations, and, or sometimes, you know, guys that on a longer drive would sleep. Oh, you know? true. Because uh, it was, uh, I mean... We averaged about 2,000 to 2,500 miles a week in a car in those early days. Mm. It was a lot of drive time. And so, you know, it depending on when it was, early in my match, in my career, you know, Ivan and Don and I would talk about, on the way there, you know, we talk about the mechanics of wrestling. we get to towns early, two, three hours early, and they'd bump and thump all over the ring teaching me the mechanics. And then on the way home, we talk about the psychology of wrestling, the old school. Like, mm-hmm. I'd sit in their corner and watch their tag match. Uncle Ivan would sit in my corner <laughs> and watch a single or handicap match. Sure. Talk about what I did good, you know, what I did right, what what I where I could improve. Mm-hmm. I'd ask them questions, hey, why did you do this right then at that time? Right. And that's how I learned. So... Or, or there was just a lot of even creative ideas. Hey, what if we came up with this storyline? And, you know, so, yeah, it, the car was kind of like a think tank sometimes. That's awesome. So how did you guys decide who the wheelman was? Was it the rookie or was it one guy who always wanted to drive? Or was it just a revolving door? Revolving. Because, yeah. believe it or not, for, for the, back in those days, everybody paid what was called trans. Okay. Trans. And so... You revolve, you rotate uh, from, you know, because you obviously the same guy, you don't want the same guy driving every night or, or the wear and tear on his car. Okay. So he had a rotation of cars and drivers and whoever was driving their car at the end of the night, believe it or not, you add up the miles. Let's say it was a, a 300 mile round trip. Then the other guys, whoever was riding in the car, would pay trans money, gas money, okay. for the drive. Right. And see, there were times, for <laughs> real, you could make more off the trans than you made for the match that night. Oh, my God. That's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. Our guarantee. Whoa. Our guarantee from Jim Crockett, okay. whether there were five fans in the audience or 5,000, our guarantee was $50. 
Wow. Even back then, that's still nothing. <laughs> no. And, and, and your gas money, food money, everything came out of that. Wow. That's crazy how far the business has come, right? Yes, it is. I hope the new guys appreciate what we did. All right. Well, these, you know what? They seem like they do. Because I find that this new generation, now, now I'm sounding like an old man, even though I'm not really, but this newer generation seem like they want to help. They want to support each other. They seem like they're actually happy what they're doing. Yeah, I'm sure there's every once in a while someone's upset with whatever it is, a contract or, or creative, whatever. But in the end, they all love being a wrestler. Yeah. I mean, and if, you know, and that's important to, you know, of course, to love what you do. Um, but my guess would be, I mean, you know, there's still, per, I'm sure there's still personality conflicts, right? Of course. I mean, you know, what, what job do you get along with everybody? Very, <laughs> Impossible. Very yeah. Very seldom. You're, you're yeah. Gonna, there's going to be personality, <laughs> conflicting personalities or again, jealousy and, and that's just reality. That's just life. Right. True. And so I, like I did in my day, I did my best to get along with everybody. Nice. Um, especially when I stepped in the ring, I wanted to be very professional. My goal was to give that fan who bought a ticket mm-hmm. the, the, the best, the best value for their money. I wanted them to walk out. You, you mentioned Magnum TA, right? And and Magnum and I, I mean, that's the most talked about series of any 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 time I ever talked to a fan. You know, Magnum is the, the best of seven with the U.S. belt is yes. brought up. Of course. Well, we worked, him and I both, we had similar styles, mm-hmm. and we were determined that when that fan left the arena that night, they were going to get their money's worth from us. Now, I can't speak for anybody else, sure. but from us, they were going to get their money's worth. And it's funny, Steve, I have fans that have still tell me this day, when they left the arena, like, well, I don't know about any of those other matches, but that match against Magnum and Nikita was real. It's true. And again, you, you see it. In the, all you got to look at back in the day is the crowd audience. As soon as you see that, that's it. Right there, you know alone, it's, it's golden. Yep. Yep. So is there anyone that you didn't have a program with back in the day that you wish, you're like, oh, damn, I wish I could have just at least had one match? Well, I mean, I'm grateful for the career I had. You know, there, there's always the what-ifs, right? What-if, what-if, what-if. I mean, you know... Another thing that's talked about a lot in my interviews and brings or comes up from time to time is you know, when the magazines are really pushing the Russian Nightmare versus Hulk Hogan, right? That's I mean, right. What if? Right. What if Nikita Koloff had squared off against Hulk Hogan? I mm. mean, the size would have matched up pretty well. The chemistry probably would have been there. Um you know that that so that's a what if. I mean, there's a couple guys. I mean, yeah, I, I would have I think I would have enjoyed working against Macho Man, mm. uh, yep. Shawn Michaels, HBK. You know, if you want to fast forward a little bit, you know, Triple H probably would have probably would fun work with Triple H. You know, so there's a few guys. The Rock, of course. There's a few guys that might have been fun to have a match against. Now, after you retired, did you ever do like a sort of comeback match? Or once you retired, that's it—you never step foot in the ring again. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, you, you'll appreciate this, Toronto, okay. Canada. I'm the Wayne Gretzky of professional wrestling. Really? You know what I mean by that? That you never once you retired, that was it. You never came back. Once once Wayne retired, he never went back, did he? Nope. Of, of of football, I'm the I'm I'm the I'm the uh, 
the uh, Billy Sims, uh, Billy Sims, right? Uh, the running back for Detroit Lions. Uh, oh, isn't it Sanders? Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders, yes, of course. Barry Sanders. There you go. Is it Barry Sanders? Yes. I don't think it yes, the one who retired in his uh, prime and never came back. Yeah. Yeah, age 29. Yep. Retired in his, in, in his prime. So so I, I retired, honestly, in my I was 33 in my prime. I mean, I, I usually, I, in my mind, I could have wrestled 10 plus more years. Um, but no, when I, I walked away into my own terms and, and my, when my decision was made, it was final. Um, guys have tried to talk me into coming back. Uh, uh, Jeff Jarrett in the early days of TNA tried to talk me into, you know, right. signing on with TNA. And, right, right. but uh, you know what? I was just like, not, not doing them. So I'm probably one of the few guys who actually really retired when he retired. <laughs> I didn't have to. Matches. Oh, yeah, no kidding, right? So, well, the other thing, too, you've wrestled in Puerto Rico. You had, like, a quick stint there in the World Wrestling Council, the world famous. How was your time there in Puerto Rico playing this Russian character? It was brutal. <laughs> oh, man, okay. It was brutal. I was... Now, and what the Crockett did was he gave me the flexibility, like, I was always under the NWA banner. Okay, okay. Okay. Uh, loyal forever, uh, NWA loyal forever, loyal uh, to the NWA. Right. Um, but you know he would loan if you want to say loan me out if you want to say it that way. So that like the shots in Puerto Rico, I did a few shots. Ivan and I did some shots in the mid south for Bill Watts. Right. You mentioned the NWA. I did some shots for Vern wrestled Larry Zabisco for the world title. I went and did uh, three tours in Japan. So all of those were for other organizations while I was still loyal to the NWA. Right. Uh, but Puerto Rico, as a bad guy, as a heel, was not fun. I mean, <laughs> okay. we got escorted into some of the stadiums with armed guards, with AK-47s. Um, the little kids would sell bags of rocks outside of the arenas to throw at us. Right. Uh, I got hit in the back of the arm one time. I, I, I'm walking to the ring, and I, I get hit. I, I grab my arm, yeah. and I got blood. And I look down, it's a spark plug. Somebody threw a spark plug at me. That's crazy. And uh, <laughs> and then I found out later in another arena, someone had thrown an empty whiskey bottle, and and it, it never. I never saw it, okay. but it hit a little kid in the front row and cut open his knee. And so, yeah, <laughs> It's pretty rough in Puerto Rico as a bad guy. So is it safe to say the craziest moments of your career was in Puerto Rico in the ring? Uh, yes, in terms of actual danger. Okay. Yes, 100%. Another thing I want to touch briefly on is when you transitioned in from a heel to a babyface. Like, did you ever think your character would have been a babyface and that you would go up feuding against one of the most famous and most established faction known as the Four Horsemen. No, in fact, uh, let's go back to Magnum, you know, who had the car wreck, right? Of course, yeah. Here's another what if. What if, what if, what if. What if Magnum had not had the car wreck? Right. I would venture to say I would have never been a good guy. Mm. Never been a bit Because... We had such great chemistry working for that best of seven for the U.S. belt. Okay. He was being groomed to be the world champion. Yep. My guess is 
he and I, over the period of years, would have went back and forth for that world heavyweight title. Mm. We would have had flag versus flag matches, True. chain matches, bull rope matches, cage matches. We could have extended that thing for years <laughs> just because of the chemistry we had. And that's why I say most likely I, the Russian would have never been a good guy. That's so crazy. And now you mentioned it, the chain match. You were notorious and known for the chain match. Did you actually enjoy having those matches? Yeah, they were, again, they were pretty rough. And people think, oh, you know, it's, a, it's it, wrestling's all fake. It's a work. Right. Uh, I would, those chains were very real. I don't care how much you try, try to wrap them around your fist yeah. and control those chains. Uh, I, once I once I walked away and I, and I did retire, um, I had I had cosmetic dental work because my when those chain links hit your teeth, your Oof. teeth. Of course. And so I had a number of different chips on my teeth that had to be smoothed over and and had to have some cosmetic work to them. So they could they could be pretty rough. And I, I did a, on my podcast. A, you know, I got I got fortunate to have a podcast of my own now called the Man Up Podcast, mm-hmm. and I. I did a two-part interview of Sting recently on it. Oh, okay. He reminded me of a time we were in a chain match in Chicago. Right. Well, I used to wrap that chain around a guy's neck and then throw him over the top rope like I was hanging him, right? Right. The key to that is you get your fingers in between the chain and your neck so you don't choke to death. Well, I didn't realize it, but the chain had cinched up before he could get his fingers in there. Oh, no. I'm like pulling the chain back. I'm looking down, Steve. I'm going, wow, he's really selling this, man. He's oh, saying, no. What I didn't know is he's turning turning purple because he's about to pass out. Right. And I finally let go and found out later that he really did about pass out because he, he was his air was being cut off and he couldn't breathe. Wow. And so chain matches could be very challenging. That's so crazy to hear. And what do you think of a guy you rode down the, the road with, a guy you wrestled, a guy you tagged with, is still currently doing it in Sting with AEW? Man, kudos to him. He's a great athlete. Uh, the guy has a great heart, you know, a heart for the business, loves the business. You talk about guys loving the business. Mm. Steve the business. I mean, when they use the word iconic, uh, I would agree with that. I mean, Go for your listener. Go go look up go look up my podcast, the Man Up podcast. Listen to his interview. We did two parts. On part one, we we cover everything from his early days in Tennessee, okay, to I'm in the Mid South, to the NWA, Mid Atlantic, WCW, all the way up to to the a, a, AEW. So we cover his whole career. Um, so I'm I'm thrilled for him that he's. You know, still able to, to get and contribute to the sport. Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, like you said, he's contributing. And when people always say the same thing, when the old guys sort of say the old guys come back, that they're taking a spot. But how are they taking a spot if they're bestowing their knowledge and upping someone like, uh, in AEW's case, Darby Allen? Right, right. They're, they're the opportunity to pour into younger guys and kind of give back to those younger guys and share some of that ring savvy that they had and. And uh, so certainly, you know, his willingness to do that is is valuable. 
uh, whether it's him or Arn Anderson or Tully Blanchard, exactly, or, you know, or any other guys that uh, you know that they might bring in to to benefit those young and up up and comers. That's fantastic. And another thing that I noticed too, you were involved in the very first War Games match. How was that? Yeah, that was uh, it was probably again one of the funnest matches I was ever a part of. Cool. I mean, all they were all fun, but there's. It's always something, something special about the original, right? Right. I mean, the first Great American Bash against Ric Flair, memorable. The very first war game match, memorable. The very first Starcade I was in, memorable. And uh, the electricity, I can just kind of remember the electricity in the arena that night because there was the unknown and, and the unexpected. None of us knew what to expect. Uh, and how it would actually end up, and and goodness, looking back, it was absolutely electrifying, and and by fan account, they loved it and still talk about it. Of course, and have you seen the current evolution of war games and what the guys are doing inside? I, I have not. I, I haven't. Uh, again, you know, I, I don't watch a whole lot of. Uh, uh, of the current just bits and pieces mm. um but again i'll go back to this often imitated <laughs> never did they uh, kudos for them to you know, give it their best effort but nothing like the original ever no of course of course not okay well before we get into the word story of the week and we wrap this up i want to touch on some non-related wrestling stuff yeah so perfect okay you're going to be a video game character for the second time, I believe, in the upcoming Retromania Wrestling. Now, how did all this go down, and are you a gamer? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm not really a gamer, okay. and it, it's, you, 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 I think you're, you're accurate. F- fans know way more than I know. I, it was a, it's actually my first official, something I've, I officially agreed to for the uh, first time. Okay. I come to find out that years ago, unofficially, somebody pirated my character and, mm. and, and did one, right? Right. But as far as official, it's my first time I ever agreed to do one. So I'm excited about it. I think that I, I know fans have been somewhat, you know, kind of impatient for it to come out. Yep. They, you know, they had to work through some things. But I think in the end, I'm hopeful the fans will appreciate the game. And have a lot of fun with it. And I look forward to getting fan reaction from it for once they start playing it. No, for sure. And if listeners want to go back, I had the head creator, the head honcho of Retromania Wrestling uh, on, on a previous episode. Go check that out. And also had the writer of the story mode for Retromania Wrestling. So if you're interested in that game and want to see what it's all about, go back and check out those episodes. Yeah, and let me tag one little thing in there. Sure. You know, Mike Art who originally reached out to me, who's instrumental in, in my being a of part course. of it. Great Love guy. Mike. Yep, Mike's the best. Uh, yeah, appreciate appreciate Mike thinking about me. And, and uh, yeah, and hopefully, hopefully, potentially, this may be the first of, of, of others to come that I, I, I may agree to do with, with those guys. We'll, we'll see. Time will tell. That's awesome. Well, another thing, too. You weren't only featured on TV with wrestling. You appeared on America's Funniest Home Videos with your daughter actually winning. Well, she, yeah, uh, my daughter Tawny, years ago, she was a tiny little girl. We were at the mall, and okay. they were doing te- screen tests in the mall, and she wanted to imitate her dad. I'm like, honey, that's not going to be funny. And But all the crowd, you know, they, I was pretty fresh off television. 
the crowd went crazy when she did it. You know, they pulled me into it. They flew us out to California. You know, they, back then they used to take the number two winner and then became between two others who get exactly. first and third. Yeah. And so she was, it was down to her, This these two comedians out of Las Vegas. I think it was rigged person. That was a work, I think, actually. <laughs> um, she she should have won the 10 grand, but fortunately she won two grand. Okay. And, uh, and then years later, Steve, we were, we were in a reality show called Preacher's Daughters as well on Lifetime oh. TV uh, about six years ago. Two years, the whole family was on on that. It's called it was called Preacher's Daughters. Okay. Your listeners can go; they probably pull that up on Netflix or they'll find it somewhere. And how, how did you like that? Because that's a bit more different than being like a character. You were being yourself, and you were being probably filmed twenty four seven, right? Well, no, not no, not so much twenty four seven. The the stories we told were real life stories and and you know things that our family was walking through. Oh, okay. Uh, like anything, you know, we'd film for a few days at a time. The camera crews would need some time off. And and uh, I, I think it was a great overall experience. Uh, you know, of course, I had already been familiar with TV. And so sure. for the rest of the family, uh, you know, some enjoyed it more than others. It was centered around my youngest daughter, Colby. Okay. And her life as the daughter of a, of a preacher, dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so... It was it was an interesting experience for the whole family, oh, but that, uh, yeah, your, your listeners need to go check it out. Preacher's daughter. Oh, that's awesome! Yes, please go check that out. And the one thing that my jaw dropped is you almost became Drago for Rocky Four. Yeah, you want to know something? I just recently uh, found out again from the fans. Okay. I love you, fans. You guys are the greatest. <laughs> for recently, Steve, they sent me something. They, they sent me. They messaged me. And they said, "Hey, okay. I hope you got paid royalty for this." I'm like. What are they talking about? It came down between the short version of that is okay. they flew me out there. It came down between me and Dolph Lundgren, essentially who was going to get the role of Ivan Drago for Rocky Four. Right. Well, so you think of the name Ivan, right? Uncle Ivan Koloff, Nikita Koloff. Of course. So the name Ivan Drago as the main character, I recently found out I had no idea that his manager's name was Nikolai Koloff, K-O-L-O-F-F. I'm like, wait, wait a minute, what? So, <laughs> Ivan for the first name of the one character, Koloff for the last name of, of the other character. Right. Neither of any royalties from it. Thanks, Stallone. Appreciate you. Love you. <laughs> But all that said, I was just thrilled to even have the opportunity and be be you know that close to landing the role. But it it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, no kidding, right? But how did all that came to be though? Was it you that pursued it, or did they come to you? No, Stallone was a wrestling fan. He had, oh. had Terry Funk, Dory Funk Jr.'s brother, in his movies, Paradise Alley, and some That's other movies. Right. Stopped to Terry and said, "Hey, I'm casting a Russian for uh, Rocky Ford. You know anyone?" He called Don Kernodal because they were friends. I was in the heyday of you know the you know one of the most hated in wrestling at the time, right? right. Tommy Russian and Kernodal goes Terry. I, man, I got the guy to be perfect for that. This guy named Nikita Koloff. So they sent me the script. Uh, you know, I, I I I perfected my lines for about a month. They flew me out there, but the long and short of it, for real, mm-hmm. keep it for to visualize this for your listeners. I was, again, 285 pounds, right? Yeah. Stallone 
like no exaggeration, he looks bigger on the silver screen. Of course. Five foot nothing. I mean, five foot six max. Mm-hmm. Five foot six, about a buck sixty, about 160 pounds. Right. So visualize six two, 285 pounds, five six, 160 pounds. Right. <laughs> and they said later, they go, even for Hollywood, you're just too big for the role. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome to hear. So are you ready for the worst story of the week then? Well, let, let's uh, – yeah, I, I don't know what, I don't know what we're going to do, but go for it. Well, it's not too out there this week. So, okay, well, first, to begin, has there been anything that you've ever lost but you've had it returned at a later date that you thought you lost forever or something that you found that you thought was lost forever? I'm sure there has been. I'm trying to think of. Uh, I lose things from time to time. I think that's called old timers or something like that. Um, but uh, I, 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 Steve, I can't think like off just off randomly off the top of my head. I know there's been stuff I've lost. I'm like, well, that that's gone forever. But eventually, did find it. I just don't have a specific example. Okay, well, I'll, I'll shoot mine out there quickly because one that always comes to my mind is, I, again, being from Canada, you had a huge hockey card collection growing up and I used to keep it in this binder all sealed away nicely. And then my family moved to Portugal for a year and then I left it there when I came back on my own. And then I thought it was lost forever because my parents ended up selling the house. I'm like, great, parents don't know anything about hockey cards. They probably threw it out. They're gone. The next thing you know, my dad comes back from visiting Portugal and he's like, oh, here, I found these for you. I looked, I was like, oh my God. So to me, that, that was my lost article that I found. And it was a fantastic day. <laughs> oh, that's a big deal because yeah, those collectible cards, right? right? That's a big... So this week's awesome. weird story is a little bit out there. So a Navy meteorologist apparently lost his wallet back in 1957. In Antarctica. Okay. And just recently, it was returned to him. 50-something-odd years later, someone found it and returned this man's wallet. Can you believe that? That's crazy. That that sounds like somebody put something in a bottle and cast it out into the sea, and it shows up on another shoreline something like 50 years later. That. That's crazy, dude. Well, that's not the craziest part. Here's the, there, There's more of this story. Apparently, he wasn't the only one. There were a few people from the Navy that lost their wallets while they were on assignment down there, and it all they all got returned. But the way it was discovered is they were tearing down the naval base, I guess whatever, was already old or whatever, and then they found it stored away in a locker. So someone was stealing these men's wallets. So they're all... So they're all... All of them were... Yeah, there was a thief among them. Right? Oh my gosh! Well, I thought for a minute you were going to tell me there was still money in them, so I'm guessing there was no money in them, though. I doubt. Well, what are they going to buy in Antarctica? What is there to buy in Antarctica? <laughs> yeah, 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 for real, right? It's not like you're going to again run down to the local Walmart store. That's for real. That's a crazy. That is a crazy story. Oh, that's so cool! All, all right, Mister Koloff, you could plug your stuff where people could find you. Anything you want to promote? The floor is all yours. Take your time. Man, I, well, I just appreciate you having me on, and uh, I will say this: I will tell a quick Canadian story sure. for you, being being the, the, the Toronto guy. So I had I had the privilege and the opportunity uh, three four years ago, I forget now, to do a twenty one city tour and twenty one days across Canada. Nice. And and we we covered four provinces. Okay. 
500 miles. And what's that translate to kilometers? Like probably, I don't know, seven, seven or 8,000 kilometers. Yeah, pretty close. Is. Yeah. Um, about 5,500 miles in, in all driving, no flying. Oh, wow. In, in 21 days. And I'd only been to two of the cities, so 19 of the cities I'd never been to before. Oh, what was really cool is, again, we cover everywhere from British Columbia all the way across, right? Right. But what's cool is I had no idea, for real, there were so many Nikita Koloff fans in Canada. Because I, I hardly wrestled there, right? Right. I, I came to meet some really, really great people. I really did. And I loved it. I loved the, the, the country. The, I, I love touring and, and seeing history. And so I had just a phenomenal time in Canada. So kudos to all of you in Canada, first and foremost. I just want to say thank you. Thanks for being a fan of, 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 the, of the Russian nightmare. <laughs> and Uncle Ivan, if you're not aware, was originally from Canada. Of course. Vancouver. Over, he was closer to Russia than I was. He was over in Vancouver. True. So, um, and and so, so another reason to, to, to love Canada. And so I just say thank you uh, to, to all of you, first and foremost. You know, if you want to follow me, I mean, I, I actually launched a brand new website, Koloff, just the last name, Koloff.net. Um, I know you were plugging some things on the on the early part of the podcast. Uh, you'll find a store on there. I've actually got a couple. I, I never thought I'd be a book writer. I never thought I'd be a wrestler. I never thought I'd do a lot. I never thought I'd have a podcast. I mean, <laughs> or a radio show. It's crazy. But I've, I've written three books. Two of them are on my website. One's inspirational. One's motivational. Mm-hmm. Go on koloff.net. Go on my store. And uh, personally autograph you know anything that's purchased on the store site. And so that's there for you to kind of browse and read a little bit more about, about my story uh, there on, on the website. Uh, Lex Luger and I co-facilitate a camp called Man Camp. And I encourage all, all you guys out there, if you're 18 years or older and you want to come and spend a few days with the Total Package Lex Luger and the Russian Nightmare, go to mancamp.info. That's the website, mancamp.info. Got guys that come from all over all over the world, actually, that have come to these camps. And Lex and I just spend a few days and just pour into guys. And nice. The goal is to send them home even healthier than they are. If you want to follow me on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Nikita Koloff with the numeral one behind it. If you want to go to Facebook, um, look for the one on Facebook because there's, believe it or not, there's a few imposters out there. Can you imagine that? <laughs> right. A few imposters, Steve. But look for one where, where I'm standing in the river, right. and, and it's actually the Jordan River in Israel. Okay. And it's me and, and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, who I actually just spoke to yesterday on the phone, had a great conversation with Ted. Nice. And another wrestler buddy. We were over there. We went. We spent eight days in Israel and, and three days in Jordan. And we're actually we're standing in the, in the Jordan River, and we're taking turns baptizing each other, kind of following the footsteps of Jesus, if you will. Mm. Uh, and, and that's last but not least, uh, you know, in addition to – to the websites and the books. And, and I mentioned the podcast, go on all the platforms and look mm-hmm. up the man up podcast. Um, I'm excited about that. That thing is just taken off and see if I can follow in your footsteps, Steve, uh, and <laughs> have as best as you are, but, uh, check out the man up staying Lex Luger, WWE Jackson Riker, 
Uh, his interviews are on it. Magnum TA will be coming up here sometime in the future. Awesome. It's just a variety of interviews that I think you guys will absolutely. Oh, and I'm doing a brand new thing, Steve. I'm cool. doing a little site called Q&A with Koloff, questions and answers with Koloff. Nice. So if you're a fan and you want to ask me some questions, it can be wrestling-related, life-related, ministry-related, submit them at koloff.net, and you potentially, like I did a personal phone call to Dwayne Soper of Medicine Hat, Hmm. and we had about a 15-minute, no, actually him and I had about a 25-minute conversation that is now a part of the podcast called Q&A with Koloff. So you may get a personal call from me, and, and we're just going to have a conversation and, and talk about who you are and, and, and answer your questions. And so Q&A with Koloff. So f- go submit your questions, koloff.net. And uh, last but not least, uh, the main thing I do, Steve, is I travel around the world uh, and now as a, a, a follower of Christ, a man of faith, right. I travel and just share my story and, and minister to to people of all ages and especially men. So that's in a nutshell, that's what's keeping me busy today. That's awesome. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast DAP. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast DAP at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show so Portos find sponsors because if it helps them out, helps me out. And most importantly, please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. One last thing I got to say to you before I let you go is I love your Twitter feed because it's all positivity all the time. And that's so refreshing on Twitter nowadays. I appreciate it. And that's the goal. And for your listeners, my goal is, you know, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, even Facebook, is my hope is, you know, the fans have been so good to me over the years and, you know, and, and supporting me and, and just being, you know, just being positive that, that that's my goal is to put some some sort of positive message out every day that can be hopefully inspiring uh, encouraging, kind of falls in line with the, with the books. One of my books is my life story, but the other book is just very motivational, right? There you go. So my hope is, and I really appreciate you saying that, my hope is to motivate somebody, inspire somebody, encourage somebody. As you said, there's enough, enough negativity out there. <laughs> I'm just my small part in bringing something positive. That's awesome. On that note, he's Nikita Koloff. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.